Good morning. It's so good to see everybody here. And if you're online, uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, before we get going, uh, I want to introduce and, and allow for, I'd like for Melena Brandon to come up and join me up here and, and talk through something that I'm really excited about. And I know that so many people have worked on this. It's called the Jesse Tree Advent Devotional. And uh, this is something where I think each and every one of us needs to listen and understand uh, what this can bring to your own life and to, to your family's life. So, Melena, what uh, many of us haven't traditionally observed Advent. So what is it? So Advent is, means coming. So the first Advent was... 2,000 years ago, it was a long one. It was a long waiting for the coming of the Messiah. So as you recall from um, Malachi up until the birth of Jesus was um, 400 years. So that was a long, long waiting for the coming of the Lord. So now we um, can observe Advent as we wait for the coming of the Lord again. So that, that's usually from December 1st to December 21st when we can think about that specifically. I know those people who are waiting were weary. They were watching they were, um, they were needing a Messiah. They were needing a rescuer, a savior. And we are no different today. We're weary, we're watching, and we're ready for a savior. So the advent for the coming of the baby Jesus, but also we are waiting for the coming of our Lord, ultimately. Yeah, thank you. So also, I mean, what's the significance of the Jesse tree? That's also on there. So what's the significance there? Well, you know, um, you know who Jesse was, possibly. If you don't, he's the father of David, King David. And um, so the Jesse tree represents the whole heritage of Jesus Christ. So uh, the Jesse tree is uh, 25 prophecies and stories and people, mostly from the Old Testament, uh, that just represent the family tree of Jesus. If you'll recall, in Isaiah 11, um, Isaiah 11 the first few verses there, we hear about the, the shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. So Jesse's uh, family tree was really in shambles. If you'll recall, the, the nation of Israel was a mess. And there was hope. And the, the shoot that was going to be coming out of the stump of Jesse was the hope that we have. So, so how does this devotional guide work? And tell us a little bit about the format. Okay. It's already on your app. It's already loaded onto the app. It starts on Wednesday, and it's something that all of us from the church can do. We can, and you can actually send it to people. It's all online, so you can send the link to family, friends, uh, anyone far away. So instead of doing it in, in, uh, as a book format, we did it this way, that way. If you're, not coming, if you're online and you're not coming up to the church right now, you're welcome to download it and use it yourself. You can read it straight off your computer. You can print it. Every single day has um, a writing an original writing from someone at our church. So over 25 people were involved in the making of this. Um, each, each day has to do with a certain, um, like I said, a, a Jesse Tree story or prophecy or person. And it's written by someone from our church. There's a scripture reading as well, a color page or just a piece of art if you don't color. Uh, or if your child, uh, if you have a child that wants to color, they can do that. And then there's a place for reflections and prayer notes. And then at the end, this is optional but if it's something that you think you would enjoy, you can print um, on cardstock color ornaments, and you can make your own Jesse tree at home and hang these daily as you uh, reflect upon the story of that day. Awesome. Thank you, Melina. I appreciate it. 
And I hope that uh, we each take advantage of this opportunity. Um, this really will. This is something that, that the Burrow family will participate in. We have um, been hearing about this for some time <clears throat> and hope that you look, uh, look at this. It is really ri written well, so I hope that you enjoy that. Um, this morning, uh, man, how many of you guys enjoyed Thanksgiving? I've had a couple of conversations this morning about uh, maybe it was a little bit more relaxed than normal. Um, others that maybe you had, like I did, 175,000 family members come upon us. And uh, you, I'm not too sure if it was supposed to be relaxing, but uh, there was, at least in, in uh, Emily's side, my in-law's side, there are a lot of grandkids. So it was actually really good to get back and relax. So this morning, um, I'm not too sure. We're going to be talking about fear. And I know you may be thinking, uh, hey, Sean, it, uh, Thanksgiving just happened. Can you maybe do something a little bit more inspirational? Can you do something that a little bit lighter? And all I have to say about that is maybe next time. So sorry. So as, as we get started this morning, I want to tell you a little story. As, as you've maybe had a conversation with me about uh, fear or something I'm fearful about, and I know this is pretty, pretty low level, uh, fear, you know, sometimes we say, and we're, you know, if we ask, you know, the crowd, we'd say, you know, what are you fearful about? We'd probably come up with a few things, and there's most definitely, we're going to be talking about something that is, is deep in the soul, okay? So what I, my story is not necessarily <clears throat> deep in the soul, even though that I feel like it sometimes, but I most definitely have a fear of spiders. And uh, if anybody is on board with me, uh, then you know the intensity of that, right? So I want to tell a quick story. When we lived in Boulder, Colorado, when I was a youth minister there, uh, we had a house, and of course most of them have basements, and then there was this little crawl space uh, in our basement, right, where you, of course, put a lot of storage in there, and of course uh, my sweet bride had tons of opportunities for me to put storage in there in the crawl space, and it was just just uh, tall enough uh, where, of course, you had to be on your hands and knees and push it back to the back. And there was one particular day, probably a couple of years into living in this house, that I came upon, I was pushing it, I was actually probably getting something out, and I came upon spider webs. Like, it felt like it consumed me, right? I mean, it may have been one little string, but it didn't matter, right? At that moment, I was captured and I, it probably took me a half a second to get out of that crawl space. And I think I bumped and bruised something along the way. I was bleeding a little bit as I jumped out of that little cubby hole, right? Because I was captured by fear. Because I was sure, I don't know if you've ever seen arachnophobia. I mean, I was sure that happened, right? That all these things, I mean, there's thousands of spots, right? So this, this idea of capturing uh, a fear capturing me, right? So I don't know if, if you've had uh, this type of experience before. It may have been something like spiders. It may have been something probably a little bit deeper or, or uh, something that, that really uh, captured you. It may have been a, a car accident. It may have been something that happened to you personally. Well, so this morning, if, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn open, turn it open, uh, turn it to First Kings nineteen. First Kings nineteen. So I want to give you a little background here. I want to give you a little context before uh, getting into it. So we have 
King Ahab. And if you know anything about King Ahab, he's, he's a pretty, pretty wicked king, right? He does not follow the Lord. And he married a pretty evil woman, Jezebel, right? So we may have heard some of these stories growing up. If you've never heard these stories, uh, I, would, I would encourage you to read the rest of the, the previous few chapters. It will really build that up. But in, especially in 1 Kings 18, we will see this story. But um, basically, King Ahab and Jezebel led the Israel nation to abandon the Lord and to follow some of Jezebel's gods that she brought into the land. So we have Jezebel, who is also notorious for finding the prophets of God, right? And really anybody that, that wanted to worship Yahweh and, and was not allowed and actually killed the prophets of God. So as a warning, so, so you have this picture, right, so of King Ahab and, and Queen Jezebel, evil, and doing the things against the Lord, against Yahweh, and then you have Elijah, right? And so as, as a warning to return to the Lord, the prophet Elijah uh, has warned Ahab to repent. Can you imagine how that went? King Ahab, King Ahab, and this prophet, which pretty much they've been trying to, uh, you know, kill all Yahweh's prophets, right? So he, he pretty much, Elijah says, okay, Ahab, uh, you need to repent, because of Ahab's refusal, guess what happened, right? So part of the context is there's a three-year drought and a famine in the land. Yet again, Yahweh threw down the challenge. And I love chapter 18 as it kind of builds into chapter 19. Chapter 18, really, right, is Elijah issued a challenge to Jezebel and all the prophets of the god Baal, Right? So if, if you can imagine this, he tells them to meet at Mount Carmel, right? So for a showdown, if you can imagine this, a showdown between Bel and the God of Yahweh. And he instructs them to build an altar and put a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice on it. And then whoever, whichever God showed up, would send fire from the sky to burn up the altar. So 450 prophets, right? One prophet of God, 450 prophets of Baal, right? Gather and spend the whole, and, and just check this out. They spend the whole day um, crying out to Baal. They were dancing. They were chanting. They were even cutting themselves, right? I mean, they, and nothing, absolutely nothing happened, and I love this. Elijah even taunts them. Says, um, hey, you might want to get a little bit louder. Or, hey, um, you know, maybe your God is sleeping. Why don't you shout louder? And still, nothing. So then it's Elijah's turn. And guess what he does? What he does is he gets, of course, as we know the story, he gets tons of water. He just he douses the altar. Because he's, he's really saying, hey, my God's... The God of Yahweh is going to show up. Watch. Then God shows up. And the great fire, it burns the sacrifice, the altar, and takes care of all the water. All of it. And then Elijah takes all the prophets and destroys them and tells Ahab to look over the horizon. Because guess what's there? It's a storm cloud forming. A huge rainstorm appears and three, the three-year drought is done. 
if it were a movie, right, this is the climax, right? If this were a movie, this would be the time where the hero goes against all odds. Cue the music. We all cheer. We clap in the movie theater, right? Great moment. So at this point, imagine Elijah's feeling pretty good. He's, he's just experienced this miraculous uh, event, and he, I'm pretty sure he felt pretty confident in who he was and who God was. The victory is his. God is avenged. Life makes sense. He's done everything he was supposed to do. Then we go over to 1 Kings 19. Okay? So if you're there, let's read verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. So I'm going to say this a little bit in my own words here. <clears throat> a messenger comes to, says, says, comes to Elijah and says, uh, excuse me. Uh, excuse me, Elijah. Um, I, I don't want to bother you, but I just want to let you know that Jezebel sends the message. And, uh, well, she's really mad. And uh, she's vowed to kill you at all costs. Can you imagine what Elijah just experienced in Chapter 18, right? Just maybe a couple days earlier. And this is how it was supposed to go. At this point, the, the nation was supposed to come back to the Lord, come back to God, come back to Yahweh. That was the plan. That's what was supposed to happen. But the wicked king said, nope, I have a message for you. Can you imagine the fear that we were just talking about that captured Elijah? That captured him. If, uh, if you can um, imagine this scale, I love doing things in you know, a scale of 1 to 10, um, right? So 1 is a little bit of a concern. 10 is I'm captured, I'm overwhelmed, I can't function, I don't know what to do. So a lot of times when we hang out, and I want us to have this, this scale in, in our mind, in our hearts, right? So as we talk for the rest of this morning, I want us to have the scale. Basically, as, as we've talked before, basically one to six, we can function decent. When we get up to seven to ten, we begin to shut down. We begin to react rather than respond. And we know that. So as we look through this story, I want us to remember that when Elijah receives this message, this claim upon his life, I bet you that that's when he gets into the 7 to 10. It rolls pretty fast. 
And as we work through the story of Elijah, I want you to, to think about what he was going through. But more importantly, I want you to, to think about, I want you, as we read the rest of this chapter, and we re- respond to the rest of this chapter, what God is doing. That's the more important message this morning. Here's a couple questions for us. Have you ever been surprised how God shows up, how God works way beyond what we can ask or imagine or even envision? Just think about that just for a moment. The God who knows you, loves you, cherishes you, he shows up and does incredible things. Can you think of some parts and ways in your life that he's done that? Have you ever been disappointed by God? I almost feel sacrilegious to ask that question, but have you ever felt disappointed by God? Elijah did everything right and things still went wrong. Isn't this the same guy that battled 450 bell prophets? Isn't this the same guy that had this... this, um, Boldness to put water on top as well. But it seems like Elijah did what most of us would do. Verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He ran away. So at this moment, we find Elijah really at kind of an awkward moment, right? Where he is neither heroic or courageous, but he's very very human. For though he achieves such tremendous heights of greatness in his faith and in his conflict with the Bell prophets, but he is a man very much like us. I want us to feel that humanness as we follow God. And Elijah was. As later on in his life, as we read, he did not experience death. That was this same guy was taken up to heaven. So in verse 4, we find Elijah responding to this threat. And he says, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He's sitting under a tree wishing that he would die. Again, who of us have been gripped by fear at one time or another? Who of us have found ourselves responding with the intensity of feelings of being depressed? When fear comes and hangs out, depression often follows. Which of us has never said the phrase, what use is it? What is it that lies back of these times of dejection and despair? I want you to hear these words because these are very common when we're captured by fear. Dejection, despair. We'll naturally find ourselves, naturally find ourselves in times of elation, of blessings. And it feels like the very next moment, does it not, that we're gripped with fear and an almost unexplainable spirit of fear and dejection. What is the cause? And as we read this story through this morning in 1 Kings 19, we will remember that the immediate cause here for Elijah's fear and dejection was a message. A message 
that he received from Jezebel, which indicated unexpected turn of events. He didn't anticipate that. Remember us talking about that? He didn't. It was unexpected. The message from Jezebel was a surprise. The unexpected reply shakes him. And it's not true uh, that most of us get into these despair moods that grip us. And we've been disappointed by the result because we expected something else. Some unexpected turn of events have caused us to lose even our faith or question our faith or have doubts in our faith for at least a time. But it also reveals a deeper reason. If you look beneath this account of Elijah, you can see that behind that, the unexpected results and their effect upon his, his reaction, both to him and to us, is an incomplete trust in God. An incomplete trust. Sean, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, straightforward there. Well, I hope so, because Elijah was, was doing what he was doing, was going along with God as long as God was doing what Elijah expected him to do. Does that, ever, does that sound familiar? There was no doubt, no fear, as we read the previous chapter. But Elijah knew what God was going to do. Elijah knew what God was going to answer with fire and followed it with rain from the sky. There was no shadow of doubt in his mind and heart as he goes through the confrontation. He knows what God is going to do. God is, of Elijah lives. But this event has shaken him. His faith was placed not upon God, but upon the knowledge of God. I want us to think about that just for a second. Do we often have faith in the knowledge and, and, and uh, the information about God rather than the Yahweh, the creator, the one that knows us intimately? And I want to challenge us just for a moment. For if we find ourselves having faith in the knowledge of God, that we're going to change, transition, begin to alter that into a personal understanding of Yahweh. I want us to look at characteristics of this. I think we'll recognize them pretty easy. So the first of all, there was this fear, grip of fear, which was evidence of the flight of Elijah. Okay? So the, the first is fear. He was threatened, he was frightened, he ran, he became afraid of failure, of loneliness, and not getting a job complete of making it through the day. When he got the message from Jezebel, he was afraid and he rose and he ran. The root of Elijah's fear was not a lack of faith in God's power, it was a lack of trust in his plan. I feel like that's, that's where we land sometimes. It's maybe not a, a lack of faith in God, but it's a lack of faith in his journey, his plan, his way. He knew what God could do. But he also knew Jezebel had killed a lot of God's people, and God had done nothing to stop her. He feared for his life, 
The same reason many of us wrestle with all kinds of fear. Because he didn't know God's plan might include, and he feared he might not like what he was asked to do. And yet we read in the New Testament over Jesus' response, right? Jesus says to his disciples over and over and over, fear not, fear not, fear not. That is the one thing that Christian is, Christians are highly encouraged not to do is to fear. Jesus even talks about, right, in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry. And his response in that, if you haven't read that, on, his, on the part that Jesus talks about, do not worry. He talks about how precious you are. Second, is we become unreasonable. We become unreasonable. But we always become utterly illogical when it turns from faith to fear, right? Have, have you ever heard of uh, fight, uh, flight or, uh, fight or flight or even freeze, right? If you can imagine that. There's also a fourth one we'll talk about here in just a moment called flow, right? But the fight or flight response is triggered when confronted with danger with either stay and deal with it, Maybe not in the best way, the fight part, or get out, flee. Elijah, as we see, most definitely responds with a flight. He feels this intensity, he gets to a seven plus, and he starts his flight. I have had enough, Lord, that's what he says. And there is another option called flow. This tends to happen when we are able to stay in those moments a fear of one to six. We're able to stay emotionally engaged, spiritually engaged, physically engaged when we have these moments that are unexpected. It's almost like we need to prepare ourselves as Christians, as those that follow Christ, to be ready for the unexpected. We can logically maybe connect with that idea, but practically I think we struggle with that. We really like for things to go the way that we want them to. We've prepped for that. We've either gone to school for that. We've either gone to and we've got training over that. We are very prepared individuals. But as Christians, and where this world is evil and Satan wants to knock you off your game, expect the unexpected. Third is the feeling of failure, right? As we see some of the words in, in Elijah's, the feelings of failure, Elijah held this negative opinion about himself. He felt he had no more success checking the, the nation's apostasy than the prophets who had gone before him. It's easy to think, I'm no good, I'm incompetent. God made a mistake with me. Elijah finds himself under a tree, and he wants to die. Hopelessness jumps in there. When Elijah hits 10, his logic is lost. And he's responding out of deep emotion, of despair, and that hopelessness. 
I hope you see that God's word is real and God's word can connect with each one of us. That probably because each one of us have felt some level of this. And if we haven't, it might be around the corner. And we have to prepare for the unexpected. Fourth, spiritual and physical fatigue. Elijah was emotionally drained and physically exhausted. Mountaintops can leave us that way. We, we just saw him on a mountaintop. And he needed to rest and relax. Depression is always related to the reflection and can be reflected when we don't get enough physical and emotional rest. When we're not sleeping well, we don't think well. When we are spiritually drained and when we know that we're on that on the doorstep of burnout, and we're not going to respond the same way just as Elijah did. Next is a sense of Futility. Elijah said, I am the only one left, and now they are all out to get me. He feels alone, feels hopeless, negative expectations about the future. And, he, and then he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me. He just pretty much tried to throw down some justification here. So some of us have been praying for months about certain things. We've been praying for months now that this COVID, that we'd find a way to deal with, with this pandemic. We've been praying for months for certain ones that we know of that, that have been sick. We have been praying for months about those that may need a job. We have been praying for those that are just find themselves alone and depressed and they don't feel like they can get out. God's program not only involves activity, but what we look at uh, is when God is concerned not only with our activity, but also with our attitude changes. A changed attitude is often a key to transformed life. When I find myself gripped with fear, I can go down that path really fast. When I change my expectations, when I change my attitude towards God, and I see that he is working even in the unexpected. That's incredible. So practical pieces to end our time this morning. Get to the root of the fear. Get to the root of the fear. When with fear, we tend to have chaotic and confused thinking. We see that in Elijah. Fear gives space for us to question everything we once knew was right. Get to the root of fear. Number two is adjust our expect expectations of God. It's almost as if we need to practice discomfort in order, in order to truly rely on God. And his promises that always transcend current circumstances. Number three is readjust our view of God. Often fear skews our view of God and our relationship with him. Connect with others. You are not alone. You will hear me say this every time I get up here. And in every class 
is connect with others. Satan works in loneliness. Satan works in those times that we feel like we're all alone. Connect with others. You're not alone. Things are not as bad as you paint them. If you think about it for a moment, a lens, I have that lens of fear. Guess what? Everything I'm seeing, every circumstance, every situation I'm in, I'm seeing the intensity of that fear. And God, through Jesus, is the hope. When he came to this earth and he said, and as, as he was leaving, right, uh, in John 14, he talks about, and following, talks about as he was leaving, he was going to leave the spirit of truth. Allowing that truth of who God is and how he works and allow the peace of Christ to come into your world. And when that lens takes over, and it takes a while, we can readjust our view of God, connect with others. Fifth is serve. Basically, get back up and get to work. Satan seeks to use the tool of discouragement to drive us into inactivity and to hide us, as we read later on in this chapter, in a cave just like Elijah. But the Lord comes to our cave and asks, what are you doing here? Don't tell them all your woes. Just respond with, what do you want from me? What do you want from me to do, Lord? These two experiences that we talked about this morning where Elijah was at the mountaintop, literally, figuratively, and he, had, he saw God come and, and the victory was God's, Yahweh. And in verse 19, or chapter 19, we saw Elijah with the unexpected, seeing the unexpected, and his response was a gripped of fear. He was gripped with fear. This morning, you may have experienced this roller coaster. You may be in one place or another. Wherever you're at, I, I want you to hear the message of God. The gospel is good news where no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you've gone through, the end of this story, the end of this chapter, right, the rest of this chapter is all about what God has done. He woke Elijah up and he served all his needs. God was faithful even though Elijah didn't see it. Tim, there's no doubt that uh, I know that God was working this morning. What, what he, the verse in uh, Joel that, that he shared this morning, guess I, I love this song and I was going to share it. And it works perfectly because that's how God works. Well, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. All of creation testify. This life within me cries. I know my Redeemer lives. The very same God that spins things in orbit runs to the weary, the worn and the weak, and the same gentle hands that hold me when I'm broken. They conquered death to bring me victory. So this morning, if you are gripped with fear, if you find yourself being unable to do anything else, 
God has overcome death. God has sent Jesus in the perfect time, in a perfect way, to redeem us, to bring us back. 